Hey, everybody. You're listening to the BioHealth Podcast with Dr. John Johnson, the show that discusses holistic living for people who love a full-body approach to biological dentistry. Today, Dr. Johnson sits down with Dr. Michael Gosweiler to discuss the benefits of lemons on your oral and physical health. Well, Michael, I'd like to thank you for joining us for this podcast. Um, as you know, I really respect you as, a, as one of my favorite periodontists that I love working with. You're the only periodontist I know that understands as much physiology and as as you do. And you actually take the time to do blood work on your patients before jumping in and, and trying to figure out why they've got gum disease or why they need surgery. Or if we're going to do surgery, we got to get your physiology first before we do that. So I know no other periodontist that I work with that gets that deep into stuff. Periodontists in general seem to me just want to scrape and cut. And that's what we do, and that's what they do. And I don't really get down to the foundation for why the, the, the disease started in the first place. So I really enjoy working with you and having conversations about physiology and overall health, which we seem to do almost on a weekly basis. So it's it's really, really... I think it, it goes to the heart of what uh, you and I have talked about so often is that uh, a lot of this um, type of... I guess what you would call a quick diagnosis and cut type of uh, treatment uh, comes from the fact that it's a lot of this is really insurance driven. And uh, um, once we, like you and I, have kind of stepped away from uh, having our practices so, you know, insurance driven and more centered around the patient, then I think that opens us up to doing things, I think, in a more health oriented and more uh, uh, efficient manner of trying to get the patients where they need to be as far as their health. So I thought, of course, it was interesting when you brought up this topic, uh, because uh, this particular topic was one of the very first topics when I originally got into holistic dentistry that had been brought up by my original mentor getting into this, who was Sam Queen, who I knew you knew about uh, who passed away a few years yep. ago, but Sam, Sam, was, Sam right, was, he, is, is a great, great writer and great, re, great medical researcher and, uh, really absolutely. written a lot of good stuff. Let me just introduce what we're talking about here because we haven't, I haven't even mentioned that up, but what we, right. what our, our phone conversation was a few days ago was about lemon juice and the, um, how that's been making the rounds on the, on the media here lately. And so we just wanted to have up a little conversation about what's up with with lemon juice. So I'm sorry I interrupted you there, but go ahead and no, tell no, me. no, no, that's fine because yeah, that's that uh, just kind of leads us into this topic because um, it's one of the very first things that uh, Sam would introduce when he was talking about. He did a lecture that I always found very interesting as a periodontist. It was called "A Mouthful of Evidence." And in that, he pointed out all the various aspects of physiological dysregulation that he understood uh, that would drive disease. And one of the very first things that he felt that uh, would start the disease process was problems with uh, pH. And he was a big advocate of lemon juice and water, which, frankly, I've kind of followed that. Uh, advice for all these years. This is going now on 
probably close to 25 years, I think, since uh, I first kind of, uh, well, yeah, no, I take that back 20 years since I first ran into Sam. So um, anyway, um, I guess we should probably give credit here to uh, uh, Marcus, your friend as well, has kind of uh, been monitoring the, the internet for this uh, that brought this up as well who uh, we um, kind of uh, figured out that uh, apparently some controversy now has been coming up about whether lemon juice and water is perhaps damaging in some fashion, which I found kind of incredible. But um, I didn't tell you, but I I came across an article in, uh, well, no, actually you sent it to me, I believe, from one of the uh, online news organizations was talking about how lemon juice and water was damaging to the teeth, um, yeah. which I always find kind of amusing, um, especially well, given me... all the other stuff that we have going on that's <laughs> damaging to the teeth. I would consider uh, lemon juice and water probably one of the least uh, egregious or one of the least damaging things out there. Yeah, well, let me let me say this disclaimer here before as we okay, yeah, let's start go on our on our conversation. So I'd like to say the disclaimer is no one should interpret what we are discussing here as medical advice. This is a conversation between do, between two dentists who are discussing a topic that is interesting to them and perhaps to others. For medical advice, please consult your physician. Absolutely. And I would, <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, this lemon juice thing, it's it's been around for years. And I heard Sam Queen talk many years also and really enjoyed his talk about about the overall physiology and his love of of good oils and, and how that's so important. Also, he was a big yes. advocate of of butter. And I think right. if we were talking today, since grass fed is so much in the news also, right. I think Sam would be saying we need grass fed butter, not yeah, just absolutely. butter. Yeah. But butter, 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 no matter whether it's grass fed or just regular butter, is probably a really good oil for the nerves and joints. And and there's just lots of good compounds in there. Um, but grass fed, I would say, is best. And the other thing he was huge on that I remember is he really liked eggs and sulfur being in the eggs and being that as an excellent detoxifier. And in, in his testimony was that he brought himself out of mercury toxicity. Mm -hmm. using eggs and eggs and more eggs. So right. um, again, this is not medical advice that you should take eggs, 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 but eggs do have some benefits. And Well, um, and it's and interesting that you bring up both eggs and butter in that these are, if they're, again, if they're uh, created in a manner that uh, doesn't destroy what's called retinol, you know, vitamin A, natural form, these are probably the two, well, out of probably in the top five of foods that you can eat that are high in retinol. If you have pastured eggs and unpasteurized grass-fed butter, uh, these tend to be high in uh, retinol, which is important for uh, maintaining the health of your liver and also uh, is important in uh, your transport of iron around in the body. But that's another conversation for a different day. 
Yeah. Um, well, let's uh, let's get back to the to the uh, article that sort of a couple articles that sort of jump started this mm-hmm. for us. Um, I was looking at this one article that was put out on a on a health magazine um, online, and it was just talking about the benefits of of lemon. Um, one point it was saying it supports heart health. The other point was they wanted to think it was part of good for weight control. Right. Um, also, they thought that it was good for protecting against anemia, um, could help prevent kidney stones, uh, reduce cancer risk, and and then it could improve digestive health. So those were sort of the six points that that brought up. That just and that article is actually written in I think April of this year. Um, but I think the article is pretty fun because it, it says that some of these things that we think it's so good for, they actually in the article, they were like, well, there's really no good evidence that support that. Like in the right. topic about weight control, maybe the water was more beneficial than the lemon in the water. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I thought we could maybe just break this down one at a time and, and, uh, and, and right. just have a quick conversation about that. Also, sure. this other article was written by um, a lady dentist who uh, is responding to the fact that there are authors out there talking about lemon juice being so good and having, you know, basically lemon juice being the cure for everything. Um, and you were respond, and you were referring to a particular chiropractor that's very popular on the internet, and he's really high on lemon juice right now. And then there's dentists responding that lemon juice are going to dissolve your teeth or help promote the the the, the, the dissolving or the um, demineralization of the of the tooth structure, and uh, and so I'd like to just sort of we'll sort of bounce around on on those two ideas that those two articles sort of were out there, but a lot of dentists will say all the this the citric acid could be bad on your teeth. Um, so anyways, do you have anything you want to add on that? And one quick question, so, I would just like yeah, to throw I, I out think there. Probably, so why don't we start with the last one first about the pH stuff, because I think, uh, it's probably yeah. important for people to understand that whole concept of, uh, base acid base alkalinity and pH, uh, and, and because it's a little bit one, confusing at times. And, and let's, t- and if you can, let's throw in on that conversation, which is probably what you're going to do, what you're leading up to is how does an acid like taking citric acid in, whether it's lemon juice or orange right. juice, pineapple juice, how does citric acid, taking, consuming that citric acid, how does that actually improve our pH in our, in our body? Right. It's an acid, so it should intuitively you think it should make our body more acidic but i can right. remember pat um several speakers that i've heard on heard speak and i think sam queen would allude to this as well as a few others absolutely is that yeah. eating that will bring your ph up which is making your body more alkaline, alkaline not right. more acidic so how does right. it how does this citric acid work in our overall physiology in that okay so well for, just for, for i'm going to just start first though with the whole ph just for Folks maybe who know nothing about chemistry or nothing about acid-base balance, I'm just going to start there. Okay. And when we talk about pH, pH is a essentially a measurement uh, that we use to measure in any kind of liquid uh, the presence of 
hydrogen ions or hydroxyl ions. So basically, it tells us what the concentration of that is in a uh, in a you know in a water medium. And the more hydrogen ions that are present, that actually is a lower pH, meaning again that it's more acidic. If it's more alkaline, that means more hydroxyl ions are present, and that indicates then a higher pH. So when you have a balance between the hydroxyl and the hydrogen ions in solution, uh, that's called a neutral solution. And this this has a range, pH has a range from 1 to 14. But this is measured on what's called a logarithmic scale, meaning that for every whole number uh, uh, increase, or actually, I, th- I think it's actually for every, I have to correct myself, I think it's actually for every 0.1 increase, there's a tenfold uh, change in the number of hydrogen ions. So it's kind of like the uh, the Richter scale, you know, for earthquakes, you know, when you go from 7 to 7.1, it's like a tenfold increase in the amount of shaking that's going on. So it's the same thing with pH. So, again, a very small increase in the pH has a profound effect on the number of hydrogen ions that are present. Uh, Now, in the humans, so again, a neutral pH would be 7. In humans, as you alluded to, we are slightly alkaline, meaning we have a, ideally, we have a pH of 7.4. And uh, in order to maintain that, we have a lot of various systems in our serum and in the tissues to try to maintain that pH. But if that pH even gets off just uh, 0.05, that has profound effects on our metabolism and our and our, our physiology. So we have lots of systems, backup systems present to try to maintain that pH. And this is how we then start to get into the whole thing with the lemon juice. Because um, as you were mentioning before, lemon juice is very acidic. Uh, it has a pH of two to three, which is very acidic. Um, but it's considered an alkaline food. So why is that? Well, when you ingest lemon juice, it stimulates the release of a hormone called secretin. And this is from the acinar cells in the duodenum, which is like the... Uh, the kind of beginning portion of the small intestine as it where it connects in with the stomach. And when secretin is released, then it stimulates the pancreas then to release uh, essentially what is a bicarbonate compound. So it's an alkalizing, so it, it increases the pH uh, of the uh, of the GI tract. And um, so I've heard, for instance, like one of these um, doctors saying, well, it doesn't matter because the pH of the uh, stomach is so acidic, it's like 1.5, that your lemon juice that is two or three doesn't matter. Well, actually, there's a study to show, and this was like back in 1988, and this is the study that uh, Sam uh, would often refer to, uh, that was showing that the use of lemon juice, and it was actually, I think, lemon juice combined with orange juice actually help to stimulate the release of secretin in the uh, in the pancreas. So 
this was an actual, you know, human study. So it's not uh, it's not even an animal study. So this is, you know, much closer to the kind of evidence that we should have when we're talking about something that is beneficial to humans. Now, this is in the GI tract. So it doesn't necessarily translate that it's going to balance the pH in the blood. That we don't know. Maybe, maybe it does. But again, that's strictly what we're talking about is just in the GI tract that it helps to correct the pH. Um, so now what we do know too, though, is when you're taking that lemon juice in, that uh, the initial response in the oral cavity, of course, is going to be that it's more acidic when you put that acid in there. If you have a normal physiological response to this, you should release more uh, saliva in order to buffer that acid. The problem is, is that the normal physiological response is becoming, I can say, more difficult for people to uh, mount anymore, for them to actually have a normal physiological response uh, for two main reasons. One, people are a lot more stressed than what they used to be. So this gets into a little bit about the nervous system and about how uh, our nervous system is divided into this uh, yin and yang, so to speak. Uh, the can, can uh, right? excuse me, Michael. Can't yeah. um, medications also contribute to yes, that? Yes, and I'll get into that too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because there's there's two things. Yeah, one is the autonomic nervous system here, and the other is medications. Right. So the autonomic nervous system is basically uh, when you're under stress, you have what's called increased sympathetic tone meaning your flight or fright system kicks in. And, you know, that's a well-known response. When people get nervous, their mouth gets dry. The salivary glands start to shut down. Now, if you're chronically stressed, then you're going to have chronically low salivary flow. So um, that's just something that, again, people, because they uh, have to kind of internalize their stress, you know, when we were living out... Uh, on the plains and something threatened us, we just ran away. Now we have things that threaten us in weird mental ways and we sometimes don't know how to get away from it. So that's one problem. The other, as you mentioned, are medications. Medications, and there are a whole host of them. Um, I think I created a list here. So these include antidepressants, decongestants, antihistamines, uh, anticholinergics, so for instance, like medications for incontinence, uh, muscle relaxants, appetite suppressants, diuretics, and that's only a partial list. So uh, I would tell folks that if you're taking medications, uh, you probably need to look at the package insert because it's a pretty common side effect of a lot of medications that it's going to uh, decrease salivary flow because so many medications tend to increase your sympathetic tone. Yes. I like to interject two things. One, yeah. when we're running away from the bear, back to right. the stressor, you don't need to be producing saliva to digest food. You need exactly. to get away from the bear. And, yes. and that's, you know, whether you're a deer or a human trying to get away from the attacker, um, that's a fact. Right. Um, but the other thing is on these medications, 
we've we dentists always are talking about these medications and how they are increasing decay rate. And the reason the decay rate is being decreased is increasing because the salivary flow is 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 decreasing, decreasing right from the medication. You know, so here this conversation really is if we had enough saliva, the lemon juice wouldn't be a problem. Exactly. You know, we dentists see these problems with medications. And of course, physicians want to help their patients with symptoms. But there could be a cost to taking the drugs. Yes. And if you could get with a physician that could help you figure out a solution for your symptoms that was not drug related, that would be a whole a whole lot better. Complete agreement um, on that. Yes. And and no and those and those of us who are into holistic medicine and holistic dentistry are all on the same page about that. Um, but you know, here the medications are coming up again. Right. You know. Well, and the other uh, besides the autonomic, um, you know, the the xerostomia, which is uh, you know a factor too in trying to prevent decay, is the other part is the uh, increase in oxidative stress, um, which this gets into this whole regulation of oxygen and iron. And that's, again, that's probably another topic for another day that we can, <laughs> we can get into. Um, but yeah, that's also another factor that's uh, putting patients' teeth at risk uh, for all kinds of decay. I mean, we tend to think of decay and when I say we, like dentistry in general, not you and I, John, I think we we have a much different view on decay. Um, but most of dentistry tends to view decay as this kind of external acid attack. Uh, John and I, we've spoken about this numerous times about how decay really is um, a failure of an organ that is the tooth itself is an organ that's designed to keep out bacteria by essentially, uh, I guess I would call it pressure. The pulp of the tooth produces a, a fluid that pumps out a fluid through the dentin. And the dentin has a series of little canals that radiate outward from the pulp towards the enamel. And it pumps this fluid out and and essentially in order to keep the uh, the dentin free of any uh, colonization by bacteria. And uh, it pumps it all the way out to this interface between the dentin and the enamel. And once it gets there, uh, it then kind of seeps out through the cracks in the enamel. And that essentially is what uh, keeps the bacteria out. As long as your body is producing fluid because you have a healthy pulp, then you're going to be free of decay. The problem is, is that we have so many factors in our environment and in our diets and, and lack of certain things that are increasing our uh, susceptibility to the pulp shutting down, that essentially that whole mechanism just fails. And then, of course, we become prime candidates for colonization by bacteria. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to get off on a tangent. No, there, no, that's a lot of this has to do with with pH, and you know we're we're so focused on 
this whole external acid attack thing that we can't really appreciate this the beauty of this whole physiological system that's designed to keep bacteria out. And instead, we get focused in on all these kind of almost irrelevant topics that to me seemed almost laughable at times because uh, it's not really the cause of the problem here where the cause of the problem is what we're uh, what we're eating you know what, what and, and yeah basically and the kind of foods we're putting in ourselves and how we're raising those foods you know so yeah uh, you know your when we take lemon juice we've got uh, i wonder what how much lemon juice they're talking about putting in a morning drink are they talking about putting a lemon wedge or are they talking about putting a whole lemon yeah, in your water? Like point. when you go to a restaurant, you're going to get a lemon wedge to put in your water. If you're doing something at home, you could put the whole lemon in, or we ought to also talk at some point here about the benefit of the whole lemon, not just the juice. Absolutely. But when we dilute the, when we dilute the lemon with the water and the lemon itself has an acidity of 3.5 or something. That I think it's thinking. between two and three lemon, just straight lemon just, juice. But if, but you, if you dilute it out, in. yeah, obviously then the more you it's dilute gonna, it, the, the less. It's going to raise the, it's going to raise that acidity level. Well, it's going to, if you, if you dilute it, it's going to raise the pH, but it's going to decrease that, the acidity. That's what I'm, yeah, I said yeah. it backwards. Yeah, yeah, it was going to raise the pH, which is going to make it more alkaline. Going to go less acidic when you dilute it, right? I mean, it's never going to probably get to uh, you know neutrality unless you had a really large volume. But uh, you could probably bring the pH up to maybe four or five or something like that. Yeah, um, and then the other thing we you know, I'll have like touch on phosphoric acid that's in soda pop, that's in soda yeah, or pop, well, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that's that's another big problem that. You know, phosphoric acid that is in, you know, ironically what they call soft drinks, which is anything but because it's very hard on the body, uh, is not something that the body recognizes uh, in terms of its ability to deal with it. So it, it doesn't really have a good buffering system for dealing with phosphoric acids. And um, it's... Um, it's something that when people are bathing their mouths in this and they're just kind of sipping on it, you know, that combined with a lot of them are using um, uh, corn syrup, you know, high fructose corn syrup. Well, again, something else that the body doesn't know how to metabolize. So you get this combination of a phosphoric acid and, and a, uh, you know, corn syrup. Um, that's, uh, that's a, it's attacking both from the external and the internal, both. Uh, so, yeah, it's no wonder that people are then uh, having their teeth just kind of, you know, rot in their mouth because they're constantly bathing themselves in this uh, external and internal um, um, destroyer of teeth, so to speak. So, um, yeah, well, and, anyway. And, and, and don't you... You know, we were we you and I talk a lot about corn syrup being bad, or uh, but we also have got other issues with um, artificial sweeteners. Which again, that's yes. a conversation we ought to have a whole sugar conversation at another. Uh, yeah, on, at on another, fake sugars, another yeah. day. 
or and meek sugar and all the types of sugar and the types of artificial sweeteners and really break down what these different things do to us. All of exactly. them are fooling our brains and putting on weight, you know, just because right. it has, it says it's zero sugar doesn't mean it's right. doesn't it's mean that that using it's not it. damaging in some fashion. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, that's a very good point, John. Yeah. Because people, I get that all the time too, is that folks come in and say, well, but I'm doing sugar free. I'm like, well, what kind of sweetener? Because people are doing it uh, because there's some sort of artificial sweetener in there. And just about every one of them have some detrimental effect on your physiology. So, yeah, your brain um, recognizes it as sweet. And then right. the insulin stuff all happens right. and you start right. storing, right. you know, I mean, yeah. I've got lots of friends who are overweight and they drink soft drinks. I should say zero calorie, sugar-free, whatever you want to label it, soft right. drinks. They drink it all the time thinking that's going to help them lose weight and it's not helping them right. lose weight. Right. Yeah. It, it's exactly. a, it's a falsehood that the food industry has dumped on us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, let's, let's I guess another, the, huh, go ahead. talk about the citric acid and, and, yeah. and, and about it's not an antioxidant, it's a pro-oxidant and right. And then, and a little bit about vitamin C and whole food vitamin C. Right. So I think when most people think about lemons and uh, cit citrus fruits, uh, we always think of citric acid. And citric acid in of itself is a actually a pro-oxidant. It's not an antioxidant. Uh, and citric acid alone is not the same as vitamin C. I mean, I know most of, you know, most of the world tends to think that that is the case, but in reality, uh, whole food vitamin C is a complex and it's a complex of three compounds uh, that are arranged in layers, almost like an onion. The innermost layer of the vitamin C complex is tyrosine. And if a fruit, for instance, like an orange or uh, a lemon, is grown in soil that is rich in copper, that tyrosine molecule will actually contain an ion of copper, which actually makes then that fruit even, you know, healthier in terms of its uh, abilities to help us with that uh, anemia, you know, again, that we were talking about earlier. Um, then the next component of this is something called rutin. And rutin is actually a flavonoid complex. Uh, it's actually a couple of different compounds uh, put together. Uh, and we can talk more about uh, flavonoids uh, when we get into the other aspects of this. And then, of course, the outermost layer is the citric acid. So the, the portion that most of medicine and uh, dentistry and everybody considers vitamin C citric acid is really only the outside portion of a whole food vitamin C. So um, I, um, I think it's important that we, you know, distinguish between the two because um, vitamin C um, in what you, you know, in lemons and so forth is much more beneficial to your health than just straight citric acid. Now, I don't want to imply with this because there's a lot of holistic physicians and uh, um, I guess functional medicine people who use IV citric acid 
And it does uh, have let me, let me huh? go ahead. Let, let me go jump ahead. in here. Is ascorbic acid and citric acid same thing? Similar? Yeah. 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 They're, yeah. Or are they yeah. the same? Yeah. 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 It's the same thing. Citric acid. Let me say that one more time. Citric right. acid and ascorbic acid are the same thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And uh, so, again, it's a pro-oxidant. Now, you and I, we, we use something we call ozone, you know, in our practices. And again, ozone uh, is a pro-oxidant. But you can use pro-oxidants to essentially elicit an antioxidant response. Just like when I was talking about the uh, uh, lemon juice, how it helps to stimulate the secretin response. So you have an acid creating an alkaline response. You can have a pro-oxidant creating an antioxidant response in the body. So for instance, you can use IV vitamin, you know, what they call vitamin C or, you know, citric acid to elicit an antioxidant response. That is provided that the person that you're administering it to has enough of what we call an antioxidant capacity to do so. So that's that's one of these important concepts, I think, that, uh, you know, you and I, John, we've talked about, but it's also part of what I've been trying to get folks to understand when uh, when I go out and I lecture is that using things like citric acid and ozone to help for, you know, for instance, like for COVID, you know, when, when doctors were out using this and there's plenty of research now that has come out in the meantime, showing the benefit of, you know, what they're calling vitamin C, but is essentially uh, citric acid in an IV delivery system helped with COVID. Uh, that was beneficial because it was able to elicit this antioxidant response. Likewise, there were studies with ozone and its benefit in treating patients who had COVID. So, um, yeah, it, I, I know this maybe gets a little confusing at times, but I, I didn't want folks to think that just because your physician was using uh, a pro-oxidant that that was a bad thing. It's not. Okay. And and when do we know when people don't have the capacity to 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 deal with that? Well, that's part of what um, you know. You and I have been talking about in terms of uh, this um, uh, system for measuring uh, how well people are controlling iron, and uh, this you know this starts to get into this whole root cause protocol that uh, we've been looking at for the last couple of years and how that system helps us get better control over iron. And the better we can control iron in our systems, then the less problems we have with oxidative stress. But again, I think that's probably another, <laughs> that's a, yeah. that's another at least hour, two hour long conversation we can yeah. have about measuring antioxidant yeah. response in the body. But yeah, I do, you, you make a good point. It's that we do need to be assessing patients' antioxidant capacity before we start jumping in and doing all these therapies because I've I've had this, you know, when I first got into this, I thought ozone and vitamin C were just fantastic tools I and mean, they were helping patients. But every once in a while, I'd have a patient where I would uh, 
do one of these therapies and then suddenly realize that, you know, they didn't have such a good response. They told me, oh, I, I felt kind of worn out afterwards. And I would talk to other people who do these therapies and they say, oh, well, they just had a, uh, they had a, uh, what they call Herxheimer's reaction. A Herxheimer reaction. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, a Herx, what, what we're calling like a, a detox reaction or Herxheimer's reaction was basically we kind of overshot their uh, oxidative capacity. Yeah. You know, they, it was too much for them to handle. You know, it's, it's a very much, uh, I guess what I would call a Goldilocks effect. You know, what is scientifically called a hormetic effect. And that is you don't want to do too little. And you don't, don't want to do too much. Got to do just the right amount to elicit that antioxidant response. So um, it's something I think that uh, as time goes on, as more physicians and more dentists start to become uh, aware of this whole concept of how uh, oxygen and iron need to be regulated in the body, how they can't touch, essentially. I mean, that's, the, that's usually what I'm telling patients is that your body is designed to use both oxygen and iron, but they cannot touch in the body. Yeah, because when they interact outside the body, of course, that's rust, and inside the body, it's even worse. So, but anyway, sorry, yeah. we're getting off yeah. topic, and we want to try to <laughs> talk about the flavonoids here. Sorry, John, that's you know that's the way conversations between you and I go. You know, we start to <laughs> go down a certain road, and we we think, oh no, we got to turn back here. <laughs> well, let's talk about flavonoids because that's our that's you know that's what's in our fruits. And vegetables, and right. uh, and then there's and there's good flavonoids, correct? And then there's also some flavonoids that aren't so good. You yes. Elaborate on that. So uh, flavonoids are basically these. Uh, they're called uh, polyphenolic compounds. There's ring compounds, and they're essentially used by plants to defend themselves against pests and against you know diseases like certain types of fungus and so forth. And um, they, of course, uh, they possess uh, certain antioxidant uh, properties that provide most of the health benefits that we'll, you know, we'll be discussing. And there's lots of different uh, flavonoid uh, compounds. And of course, like any other thing that is really, you know, good for your health, when science discovers that it has uh, these great health benefits, someone wants to take that compound, isolate it, put it in a bottle, and then sell it to you. Uh, of course, part of the problem is, is that when you go to do that, you actually have to extract these compounds, and the, the extraction process is sometimes not so great. And uh, I came across an article, so I'm just going to read you part of this. Uh, but it says most of the pharmaceutical and food industries use solvents for the extraction of bioactive compounds from citrus. So basically what they do is like when they're making lemon juice and they have these leftover uh, you know, rinds and pits from uh, the lemon juice or orange juice or whatever, they want to utilize all the parts they can. So they have these uh, uh, basically debris. And but it has these polyphenols in it, which are beneficial. So what they do is they try to extract these polyphenols, but they're using organic solvents. 
such as hexane, methanol, ethanol, petroleum ether, benzene, toluene, ethyl acetate, isopropanol, and acetone. Now, you know, anybody that knows a little bit about chemistry, you probably recognize about half of those compounds as being carcinogenic. And uh, that doesn't really give me a good feeling about buying uh, these flavonoids in a bottle. I mean, yeah. unless you know something about what the extraction process was that was used to extract those flavonoids from that citrus waste, uh, I probably wouldn't be taking it just because there's too much of a chance there that you're going to have some residual of those organic solvents that were used to extract those polyphenols from the citrus waste. So I think... Um, Again, maybe maybe there's a, a greener method for for doing this, and the article does mention. But uh, when it does mention it, it says such methods can be low energy, time saving, and produce higher yields at a reduced solvent consumption. So they're still using the solvents; they're just using uh -huh. less of it. So, um, yeah, there's there's a whole, like I say, a whole host of uh, of these flavonoids, and probably uh, some of the ones I think maybe folks would uh, recognize uh, is uh, quercetin, which is a very uh, you know common uh, compound that is uh, um, I think sold for uh, just use by itself. I think even during COVID, I think quercetin was uh, promoted as having. Uh, properties against uh, COVID. Um, and then um, also another one is, uh, what is it called? Naringin. And naringin has been uh, a compound that I've looked into just because uh, there, uh, there are studies showing that naringin actually helped with, uh, with bone metabolism, actually helped to increase uh, I think bone turnover. So there's a lot of different properties that these flavonoids have. And uh, I think that's where this article that you found uh, starts to talk about these health benefits. So we can kind of go through these uh, benefits uh, one by one, kind of pull that apart a bit if you want to. Yeah. Well, that, that article, let me pull that back up here again. You know, the first comment they made it's going to support a healthy heart right and so i don't want to mislead people on this because most of this um uh, was uh showing that the the flavonoids were um uh, had some um aspect that maybe uh were beneficial at reducing cholesterol levels for instance but I think as time goes on, we're starting to understand that uh, cholesterol is not necessarily the bad guy that everybody has been led to believe over time. So um, now, the fact that it helps to reduce cholesterol, though, isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think uh, cholesterol is a precursor for a number of other very important compounds in our body. Uh, for instance, cholesterol is a precursor to vitamin D. 
Uh, it's a precursor to our sex hormones. It's a precursor to uh, myelin, which helps to insulate our nerves. So there's obviously a lot of important uh, functions for cholesterol in the body as a uh, as a basic building block. And if those compounds, um, those flavonoids help to get cholesterol where it needs to be in terms of helping to build other uh, hormones or other aspects of our physiology, great. Um, but again, that article or any of the attributed uh, articles and that didn't really get into that. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, that one point, one point they make here is that it, that a lemon provides 31 milligrams of vitamin C, which yes. is 51, 51% of the reference daily intake, the RDI. Um, and that would be good vitamin C. That'd be whole food vitamin C. Absolutely. Be better, that would be better than, than, um, than getting it out of a tablet or taking the sorbic acid. Yeah. Um, but also there's lots of vegetables and fruits that are rich in vitamin C. So, you know, the lemon juice is just one part of that. Um, but we need to be eating, eating more of these vegetables and getting the whole food vitamin C that's in whole food. And, uh, and that of course, and everybody knows that the, those are good for us. Um, well, I would say too, that if you can find a farmer who has good regenerative farming practices, that would be even better because, um, you know, they understand probably soil chemistry better and they appreciate the importance of minerals in their soil. And, you know, the greater understanding that they have of that, I think they're going to produce a much higher quality product. Um, I was... um, I forgot, I was listening to someone talk about carrots, for instance, beta carotene, and about how uh, the, the nutritional value of carrots has dropped remarkably over the years, just because our soil has become more depleted. I mean, mm-hmm. carrots nowadays are not nearly as healthy as what they were, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, And, and then we've got fiber that's involved here right you know when we're is there a way that you can remember of of using the whole lemon because there's benefit in the pulp and there's also wouldn't the rind be full of all kinds of these oils and and absolutely yeah well and that's that's where that i think some of the benefits you know we need to be clear that uh on some of these studies the, the benefit came from using the whole lemon, not just the juice. Uh, for instance, in some of these weight loss studies, for instance, that that was attributed to uh, the animals actually eating some of the flavonoids found in the peel. That is, uh, you know, the, the actual uh, rind of the, uh, the outer portion of the of the the lemon or the citrus fruit um there's there's other benefits to eating what's called the pith which is that white meaty portion underneath the rind uh and there's different concentrations of different flavonoids in this so for instance if you're going to use the whole lemon you know get your get your money's worth out of lemons then you know take the 
take the 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 the, the the peel off of the, the the top, and you can go online and find this. And there's people that'll show you just how to just peel that off, you know, without the without taking off that that meaty white portion. Just take that, use a toothpick, put it in a teacup, pour hot water over it, and you make yourself a very nice aromatic uh, lemon zest uh, drink, uh, which has a lot of health benefits. And there's lots of uh, polyphenols found in that. Um, using that white meaty portion of the lemon, you can uh, put that into uh, a smoothie. You know, if you put it in the blender and and chop that up, and that becomes again another source of polyphenols. Uh, so, like for instance, when I I go to my local uh, uh, health food store here, and they have a little bar where they make uh, smoothies, and they they basically cut off most of the peel but they leave that pith in there when they throw it in into your drinks because they they understand that 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 whole pulp that whole pith of the lemon has benefits beyond just the juice itself then let me just just so i'm clear because this is new information to me okay i've just always you know squeezed a lemon i've never thought there was any benefit to the rest of it yeah when you're talking about taking off the peel you're really meaning just taking off the yellow part. Right. Just the very the yellow, yellow part. Now you're to the white pith that you're talking about. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And so that, uh, and of course, I think we should also qualify. This is all organic, right? Yeah. Because, you know, if they've been sprayed, if they've had wax residues put on them, you know, in order to increase their shelf life, uh, th- that's not something you want to be doing. Right. And, uh, you and, don't, but don't, you don't we, want to be consuming that peel or the pith if that's the case. This should well, be organic. We need to. I need my wife to be in here because she like will use lemon zest on stuff, right. where she's really then just scraping the yellow off the lemon and putting it in her food. Right. Yeah. Well, you, you can know? put it in your so, food too. I mean, you can consume it. I mean, it doesn't have to be just in a tea. I so mean, lemon zest is used using, in a lot of. Uh, cooking, baking. I mean, people put it on cakes and pies and stuff like that. But yeah, no, lemon zest is, uh, you know, you can just consume it straight. Um, so, so back to making a smoothie, why do we have to take the peel off? Why don't we just throw the whole thing in there? Um, probably does it, make it Does it make it bitter or change the taste? Uh, it probably does. It probably gives it a, a little bit more of a, a, a bitter taste. I mean, the, the pith uh is somewhat uh bitter but of course you know a lot of times with these smoothies they're throwing other fruits that maybe have a more of a fructose content to it uh you know so it kind of covers it up um i i tend to do a lot of like uh lemon ginger uh celery kale kind of combinations uh you know when i get my when I get my smoothies, you know, they're not even really smoothies. They're just more of a blended health drink, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, you can, you could throw the peel in there. I mean, there's, there's nothing, nothing bad about that. It's just, it's probably, uh, you know, intense in terms of flavor. So, yeah. I thought the article made a, an interesting point that um, they didn't know whether the, lemon juice was really helping you lose weight or not but 
there were st quoted studies that said that drinking water is is going to help drinking water will increase the number of calories you burn so it may be the water itself that's helping with the weight loss and not the lemon i think that's a good point as far as the water because you know i mean that's a that's an important point when you're doing this whole lemon and water thing is making sure you're using the healthy water i mean it's not chlorinated and doesn't have fluorine in it and um you know if you want to get a really good health benefit out of that so yeah. um and i would think and, too and i mean my, let me go ahead and just to talk a second about water itself you know we've there's if we put the acid in there we're now increasing the electron the hydrogen right ions that are in the water right and is that making the water wetter making it is it changing the structure of the water making the water wetter making it better for us to consume and it's maybe not so much about the acidity it's just the interaction of the acid with the water well i think you still you've still got all those flavonoids it's a better hydrating we vehicle you know that are beneficial but does it change the structure of the water that you know that's probably beyond my understanding i'm i'm very interested in this whole water you know structured water uh topic um i think that that is you know there's a lot of interesting studies for instance like you know you take water uh that you would use maybe rainwater who was it i i my daughter was telling me about a study that um uh, was looking at rainwater that they would take and put on plants and but their they had one group was just rainwater that they were putting on plants in a garden and then the other one was rainwater that they had taken and put through a microwave but then let it cool off it wasn't hot yeah and then they would use that in the other part of the garden and that those those plants did not thrive yeah so there's there was something that happened that the structure of the water was changed by the microwaves yeah now what that was and uh, you know i i couldn't tell you i i don't yeah. understand enough about that particular topic uh, i would like to and i'd like to hear more from someone that really does yeah. um but yeah i think i think it's an important point they uh also were talking about preventing kidney stone was one thing but really their conclusion i think at the end is they thought that the, the lemon juice may help prevent the kidney stones however more research is needed i, I don't right. know that they really felt that the it helped in the kidney stones but one of the lines that they they said here was that some studies also found that lemonade effects effectively prevented kidney stones but the results had been mixed other studies showed no effect so well yeah especially think, that lemonade i mean i the lemonade part and i'd like to point out that this when we're talking about lemon juice we are not, not talking about lemonade the right. sugar that we do use to make lemonade is huge. If you follow the old-fashioned recipe that my mom would make, it was <laughs> six lemons, and then it was a huge amount of sugar. Yeah. And, and and so, you know, we've that's, now turned That's why you like it so much, right? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're not, you know, when we're talking about lemon juice, we're talking about lemon juice in water. <laughs> yeah. Don't be adding honey to it. Don't be adding sugar to it yeah. unless you just really want to have yourself treat. You know, right. it's like, okay, I'm make let's be honest about why why we're drinking this. We're drinking right. because of that. Uh, and, and and there's also benefits to lemon, but or I should say to honey too. But we don't want to get into that. That's another right. a whole other cop another conversation. Um, you want to say anything more about kidney stones? No, no. I'm, okay. And then yeah. it talked about anemia, and right. I just about I had a chuckle to myself when it talked about lemons contain iron, but primarily prevent anemia by improving absorption of iron from plant foods. And we've had tons of conversations about iron and we're big fans of Morley Robbins and his right. book, The Cure. We all got tons of iron. This right. anemia thing is is a is a misinterpretation of of a, of a wide variety or a misunderstanding of of truly what's going on. Um, you know, do you want to speak to iron a bit here? And yeah, and, I mean, and anemia. So the if it if it does help with anemia great but it's not because uh because of the iron content of the of the lemon it it's probably because it's helping the iron to get unstuck that is the the, the big problem with iron and with anemia is not that uh anemia is due to a deficiency of iron in the system it's because iron isn't moving iron constantly has to be moving in the body and at a pretty rapid rate, because every second you're producing 2 million red blood cells. I mean, you know, if you're producing like, you know, normal amounts for a normal sized human being. But uh, that movement of iron cannot occur if iron isn't being transported properly between the various component, uh, various compartments of the body. You know, iron has to move from the, uh, from the bone marrow to the red blood cells out into circulation. Once that, you know, once the red blood cells have become uh, senescent, uh, then they are taken up by the macrophages and then reprocessed. So there's a whole circulation system uh, of taking iron, incorporating it, using it, and then recycling it. And that system, if it's not functioning properly, <clears throat> the body in particular, the liver senses that and starts to shut down that system because it says if you're not handling iron properly, it can be used by anaerobic bacteria for its own nefarious purposes. So this whole idea uh, of iron, uh, you know, that it's somehow just helping to, um, I don't know, increase more iron uptake yeah, it may help the iron get out of the gut and into the liver and to get it into processing where it's being useful. But, you know, probably at about age 24, 25, you've got about as much iron as you'll probably ever need for in your whole life, unless you, you know, have a massive bleed out or something. So, um, yeah, I know. I, I, I look at that and I go, well, that's amusing, but not true. So. <laughs> Yeah, I was chuckling when I read that. Yeah. Um, so, the, go ahead. The, you know, they also had a little ditty paragraph here. Point six was about cancer. 
right. uh, reducing cancer risks. Right. And it, it seemed like a lot of what they were quoting was, was animal studies and, and they were using massive doses of these things on the animals. Right. Right. None of these things were, none of these points that they made were, <clears throat> were really being done on humans. I don't think. No, you're right. It was, it was mostly laboratory and animal studies. Um, now the one that, the, the, that one single study though, uh, about using the flavonoids, uh, to prevent certain types of, so what they were doing is they were using a, essentially like a carcinogenic agent to induce tumors in the tongues and in the GIs of these rodents. Uh, and what they were just noticing was that if they used uh, larger amounts of these flavonoids, that they could basically cut down on the number and size of the tumors in the rodents that were due, again, to these carcinogenic compounds. Um, rats are actually rel relatively resistant to um cancer so you got to really kind of work hard to create a cancer in a rat um but um it's interesting but i wouldn't try to mislead anyone into thinking that uh taking lemons is somehow going to cure your cancer alone would i use it sure why not i mean i i, I do you know lemons on a regular basis myself um you know but again i try to use the whole lemon and uh not just the juice so yeah right. and uh and then their very last thing was improving di digestive health yeah well again i think a lot of that is mainly attributed to the uh soluble fiber found in the pulp and and some of the insoluble fiber found in the you know the pectin found in the in the pith um you know Pectin is one of those things that you use to uh, basically uh, kind of pick up toxins in the gut. So again, using the that meaty portion or consuming that uh, is useful. And again, there are you know companies that sell pectin or put pectin in as part of their gut detox uh, protocols. Um, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Uh, you know, our friend uh, Chris Shade uses pectin in his uh, product there. I'm not I'm not trying to advertise for Chris, but I just, you know, I recall that it's his gut uh, detox product has uh, pectin in it. Yeah. So it's, you know, all this is really the the fiber that's in the fruit, not just the juice. So right. if you want to yeah. get the if you want to get the, the benefits of fiber from the lemons, you need to eat the pulp. Right. Yep. And and if you're getting if you're using just the juice without the fiber, um, yeah. you're going to miss out on the benefits of the fiber. Right. Right. Exactly. And so this is like so many, uh, you know, folks are eating not just lemon juice, but they might be having orange juice and they think they're doing a good thing or pineapple juice. Those juices do have benefit, but there's even more benefit when you eat the fruit as opposed to juicing it and just eating the juice juices it should be unpasteurized you Good know point. i mean most of the orange juice and lemon juices that you buy in the stores have been pasteurized that's true so that's not really you know a beneficial product yeah i mean yep. it, it has some benefit but i'm just saying it would be much more beneficial uh if it were unpasteurized 
And you don't yeah. find that very often. I mean, you can find it occasionally, like occasionally at uh, Trader Joe's, you'll they sell unpasteurized uh, orange juice, but it's it's not very common. Yeah. Same with same with cider. If you can find a cider presser that doesn't pasteurize it, doesn't pasteurize it. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. It's hard to find. It is. It is. Yeah. Because it, it, uh, it decreases its, uh, shelf life. So yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Well, this has been a really good discussion. Is there anything else you'd like to bring up that we, that we, that you were thinking about that I didn't lead lead you down no i think you you've you've covered uh i think pretty much all of uh the topics that we wanted to to hit on this and uh uh, let's so let's let me just interject one thing sure if you if like this one dentist is worried about the the lemon dissolving the teeth yeah we sort of covered that that's not that big a worry because you're dissolving the, the the strong acid with your water and you're bringing the ph up so the acidity right. is not the same. Um, right. But if you do want to avoid getting the acid on your teeth, then use a straw. And 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 if you're going to not use a straw and you're going to drink it, drink it and swallow it. Don't swish it around. Just put it on your tongue yeah. and the puff of your mouth and swallow it. You don't have to, yeah. to savor it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and the other thing is, is when you're going to, if you're when you're done drinking it, just have some pure water to sort of dilute the acid even more, mm-hmm. and then maybe swish that water around. Um, I know this author, the the lady dentist that wrote the one article, she's like, if you're gonna have the the acid drink, don't go brush your teeth right after to mm-hmm. wait 20, 30 minutes, then brush your teeth, or brush your teeth before you're gonna have this acid drink. Um but that's, you know, I've heard many dentists over the years worry about lemons digesting things, or I should say dissolving your teeth. Um, but I think I, I think I've always been more concerned about my patients who actually put a lemon wedge in their mouth and suck on the lemon and keep it in there for yeah. 10 or 15 minutes than my patients that are eating lemon juice. There's a huge difference between the two. Yeah. And and for for dentists who who talk about acids on our foods. We, we, there are the, of course the citrus fruits that we've discussed. There's also a condition, um, a, a, a scenario where some patients, I don't think there's a lot of patients to do this, but there are some patients that I've heard about in lecture that will take a, a an orange wedge and they'll put that in their mouth or an orange slice or a, um, another type of citrus fruit, maybe a pineapple. Um, I don't know if pineapples are citrus. Is that very citrusy pineapples? I know grapefruit would be put into that thing, but they put a wedge of grapefruit in there and they chew it and they maul it. They hold it in their mouth and and savor it and maybe have it in their mouth for a while. Um, and so then there's some abrasiveness going on while there's the acidity going on there. And I've had other lectures talk about soda pop being very acidic on people's teeth and that there's some folks have this habit of they take in the soda pop and they savor it. They roll it around in their mouth and hold it there. They just don't drink it and swallow it. And and that type of of pattern will have an an acid 
etching effect on lower teeth, but it won't have the same etching effect on the top teeth because they're holding the drink in the bottom of their mouth, not on the roof of their mouth or in the top of their teeth. Um, and then, of course, we got people who bring up their stomach acid into their mouth and stomach acid has got a pH of one or so, right? That's another way to get acid on our teeth that's going to dissolve teeth. Um, you and I talked about earlier that, uh, especially in the context of our holistic patients that we probably need to discuss, and that's uh, kombucha. Oh, yeah. So uh, I, th- I've run into this several times. And, um, you know, I've got patients that are really trying to do the right thing and uh, eat organic. And uh, but they they have a what I would call a kombucha habit that they are using uh, kombucha on a daily basis. And they're kind of using it almost like a soft drink. Now, kombucha, uh, you know, there's some people that produce kombucha that is very um how can i say you know it's very fermented and basically has a very low sugar content and there's other kombuchas that really are sweeter and of course those are obviously more popular so if you have this combination of sugar and acid you're getting pretty close to a soft drink so uh and i've seen plenty of cases that people have these sweet kombuchas that they like to consume on a daily basis thinking that it's a healthy product. And uh, kombucha can be healthy, but you have to choose the ones that are probably less sweet tasting. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the that's the trade-off there. And uh, if you're consuming kombuchas that are sweet tasting, it's probably not doing your teeth a lot of good. So uh, I know I got a lot of people that kind of get upset about that. Um, but I'm just trying to help them save their teeth. If they want to listen to my advice, fine. If they don't, well, okay. If you, you're going to suffer the consequences, but um, <laughs> you know, you kind of need to pay attention to what the sugar content of the kombucha is. All right. Good point. Yeah. Well, I think this has been a wonderful discussion. Yeah. Thank you for uh, coming on to our podcast here. And John, I always enjoy talking uh, to you. We'll have to, uh, sit down and make a list of our copper conversation that we want to have. And uh, (laughs) what was our other one that we came up with here? Um, Um, I'm all blank now. Yeah. Okay. All right. John, I'm going to sign off here. I got to. Okay. Well, have a good rest of the evening. Thank you very much. This has been the biohealth podcast with Dr. John Johnson of Midwest biohealth. You can listen to more of Dr. Johnson's recordings by visiting us online at www.midwestbiohealth.com. Thanks for listening, and we will see you on the next episode.